I was rebuked by one of our brothers in the church this morning for not sharing a testimony, a praise of my own. And, uh, you know, God is into small things. I wish he'd help me get this thing in my back pocket right now. Here we go. Um, so uh, God is in the small things. Uh, you know, this was one of those weeks where it seemed like nothing was going our way. <laughs> right, Pam? I mean, you can plan for things, and uh, things just don't go your way, but God always finds a way. Um, so in the midst of busyness, and uh, I was at a basketball game Friday night for my son, and coming out after the game, it was dark, and... Uh, I was talking to the worship leader on the phone, backing out of a crowded parking lot. I know I shouldn't have been talking to him, uh, driving. (laughs) But I backed into a car, I didn't see it, and I mean, it was plain as day, I don't know how I could have missed it. Well, I bump into this car, and I'm like, Jim, I just hit a car. (laughs) So I get out of the car, and uh, out of my truck, and it's a Cadillac Escalade. <laughs> so I get out and I look at it and I tell Jim, I gotta go. And uh, there's a dimple in that thing, in the bumper. So I thought, well, I just put my new insurance card in my truck. So I went to my truck, got the insurance card, came back and looked at the bumper again to take a picture to go inside to find out whose vehicle it was. The dimple was gone. Praise God. (laughs) But as I looked at that, and I just like, wow, and my first thought was, well, you know, they make bumpers. They're not like metal anymore. And I kind of got rebuked later for that. But um, there was a family coming. And uh, I'm like, you know, I am so sorry. I am, I'm really sorry. I hit your car. Well, that's not our car. This is our car. So they... (laughs) So I went in and found the guy, and uh, he's from the team, opposed to town. And uh, he's a big guy. And uh, we were walking uh, out to the car, and he goes, how bad is it? Is it the whole front end? Is it bashed in? I'm like, no, it's nothing like that. And we get out there, and we look at it. He goes, it's nothing. I said, well, I'll give you my name and number and, and all. He goes, I don't, I don't even need it. So God will make a way. God has ended little things. Believe me, I was praising the Lord. Um, as I share with my wife, hey, I bumped into a car, and before I could tell her the dimple was removed, and there's no insurance claims or anything, oh, man, you know, what, what were you thinking? What, oh, God is in the details. He is. God is so interested in every part of our life. There's not anything in our life that he's not interested in. Um, as we turn to Mark chapter 1. You know, Mark's gospel is, is, is one of action. It's one of uh, action of the Lord Jesus Christ as he walked on this earth. And um, so Mark's gospel shows a lot about the ministry uh, of Jesus. And, um, you know, the more I grow in the Lord, the more and more I just realize the more I need Jesus. If there's one thing I need in my life, it's for him to increase in my life and for me to decrease. 
And sometimes we wrestle around with so many things. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to please the Lord by doing this. And before you know, before you know it, we're striving. And when we strive, the flesh ultimately gets involved. And when the flesh gets involved, you know, it just, life gets out of whack, doesn't it? But we're going to learn some things about Jesus. Obviously, he's the son of God and without sin and had such a relationship with the Father that you and I, you know, it's hard for us to grasp. But we can learn a lot of things from his life, his life here on earth. And that's what, uh, that's what we'll see today as we look at his his baptism, and then the temptation that Jesus experienced from Satan in the wilderness. So we'll pick up in verse 9. It says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And so in those days, referring back to what we've read so far, in those days of John the Baptist coming onto the scene, the forerunner of the Messiah, the forerunner uh, of Jesus, uh, who was prophesied in Malachi and Isaiah. And in those days, the connections there, that Jesus came. And I think it's interesting, in those days, as Jesus was teaching a baptism of repentance, in those days when, you know, uh, there was no revelation of God, and then John the Baptist shows on the, up on the scene, and then, as he's pointing to Jesus, in those days, he came from Nazareth. So remember, 30 years prior, you know, Jesus born in a manger, and then it was 30 years later that Jesus now is coming onto the scene. And those who are in our study on Wednesday nights in Nehemiah, we understood that Nehemiah had this burden on his heart and he had to wait, what, four to five months until, uh, you know, he had that time before the king. And God, as he fasted and prayed, God was preparing him. Well, Jesus, in his humanity, was prepared for 30, for 30 years. And uh, we can gain some examples from that. But nevertheless, we see here then John the Baptist coming to preach a message of repentance for the remission of sins. As we read, they were confessing their sins. And, uh, and then Jesus shows up, and he gets baptized. Now, it's interesting, when I go through Mark's gospel, he doesn't spend a lot of time on the baptism of Jesus. He doesn't spend a lot of time um, that other gospel writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shared about the details of those things, and he goes on. And so I was tempted, hey, this is going to be fast moving. We're not going to spend, you know, three weeks in Gospel of Mark chapter 1, but how do you just overlook these things? And not that we're going to do an exhaustive look at his baptism and his uh, temptation, but I think there's, there's some meaning here for you and I. And what it means the baptism of Jesus. And it's so easy that, you know, I, I'm starting to think I'm getting older. At least this is my excuse. As I get older, it seems like I forget a lot of things I've learned over the years. And when it comes to theology, I start to worry. You know, I, I knew that at one time. Now I, what, what's going on, Lord? You know, and, and I'm reminded that it's more of Jesus we need. And so when we think of John the Baptist coming and baptizing, you know, preaching a message of repentance and then baptizing, we see Jesus come on the scene and he gets baptized. Well, gee, I thought Jesus was sinless. Why was he being baptized? And so let's look at these 
a few scriptures that reminds us that, folks, Jesus came and as he walked this earth, he was a man, he was a human being. But he was also 100% God. And he was sinless. And that, uh, when you share the gospel with others, it's all about Jesus, right? We have to have that clear understanding, and I know we do, but it's good to go over that Jesus was sinless. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If Jesus was not sinless, he could not be the Lamb of God. And God, throughout the, his word, reminds us. How about Hebrews 4.15? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. How about 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 22? For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth. That's pretty clear, right? Jesus sinless. And what about 1 John chapter 3, verse 5? And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. And what about um, 2 Corinthians 5, 21? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so these scriptures are foundational for us to realize, understand, as we share with others, because I'm assuming this is obviously rooted in your heart, if you're a born-again believer, that Christ Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But what about when you share with others? What's the uniqueness of Jesus? You understand, when we share the gospel, it's got to be about Jesus. Because he is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He was sinless and he came as a man to go to the cross, buried, resurrected on the third day, and we're promised that we'll have life in Christ Jesus upon our profession of faith. So the question then, why was Jesus baptized? Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 3. And we're not going to, this isn't going to be exhaustive, but it's good to look at Matthew's gospel we were talking yesterday it's amazing how God always connects dots and he does that in the scriptures too that's why it's so important to be in the scriptures to to be fed the word of God because God connects dots how many times have you thought something during the week and then you come to Bible study or maybe talking to another believer throughout the week, and then bam, God connects the dots for you. He gives you understanding of him more. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit working in your life. That's his truth is given to you. And I'm so thankful that my salvation, or my sanctification even, depends on how knowledgeable I am. See, I can know so many things, but it goes back to my relationship with the Lord and what he wants to do. Knowledge is a good thing. Being in the Word, we gain knowledge, and then the Spirit of God uses that knowledge. It becomes wisdom, and we live life in Christ. Anyway, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to, to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. 
But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. So it's interesting, John the Baptist knew that it should be the other way around, that John the Baptist be baptized by Jesus. And then Jesus says, it's to fulfill all righteousness. And boy, we could spend a lot of time on that. But simply put, Christ was baptized for an example for you and I. And we're going to see that throughout Mark's gospel. The great example of life in Christ comes through Jesus himself. We might be thinking of baptism of Jesus. It's a time of him being identified as the, as the Messiah, as the anointed one. Identifying as the anointed one of God, and now it's marking the time. Remember back in uh, uh, verse 1 where it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is written in the prophets. This is the fulfillment then of Jesus, the gospel. We'll just move on. There's so much, and we'll, we'll talk more about that later in the Mark's gospel. Verse 10, and one interesting thing, I had some questions asked if I'm going to be baptized in the Jordan River when I go to Israel here a few weeks. I heard it's going to be too cold. <laughs> we'll find a way. <laughs> Verse 10 of Mark chapter 1, it says, And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Interesting thing here, we see the Holy Trinity working. We see Jesus, the Son of God. We see the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then we see God the Father proclaiming this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So just a little tidbit there. When you are told by those that don't believe in the Trinity, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Anybody ever hear that as you witness? Sure. Well, right here's an example where the Trinity exists. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in verse 11, let me read those again because these are precious words. The voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, if we just read over that real fast, it's, a, it's wonderful words, it's wonderful story. We, we know the history of Jesus came and he was baptized and, and, and God spoke But there's so much more here that we need to chew on for a couple minutes. That God the Father said that this is his beloved son, expressing his love for his son Jesus. And um, as Jesus went to the cross and he gave his life for us, that we might have life. Let's focus on for a few minutes our life in Christ, we are God's beloved as well. Now, we don't have the same relationship as Jesus had with the Father. 
but the riches that you and I live with, life in Christ, as we studied in the book of Ephesians, God says, you are my beloved. This is, this is foundational, but yet I find myself chewing on these things more and more and more, drawing closer and closer and closer to God. And that, that should be our goal. That should be our desire to draw closer to God. So let's look at this. When we think about we have been justified by the work of Jesus at the cross. He's paid the penalty for our sin. We are his beloved. You know, some of us grew up with our founding pastor. Words are important. And if you just chew on and just let it and just meditate on the word beloved, and God looking down at you and I. And we have that peace knowing we're his beloved. I can tell you it makes all the difference in your relationship with the Lord. Let's look at a few scriptures on this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. <laughs> you know, we really should go back and read probably all of Ephesians 1 real quick. <laughs> But we'll stick with verse 6. Ephesians 1. Well, let's turn to Ephesians then. And I'm confident the Lord is just connecting dots for somebody this morning. We need to hear these things that we're beloved. We're, we're the Lord's beloved. What did I say? Ephesians 1. And let's look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, if you're in Christ, you have these heavenly blessings. You're blessed and highly favored. I love that phrase. Blessed because we are in Christ. We're blessed because what Christ has done. And we are highly favored. Now, I tell you, I don't wake up every morning thinking that I'm highly favored. But the truth is, I'm highly favored because of what Christ did for me and, and this new life in Christ. It says, verse 4, just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, listen, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. You know, one phrase, I use it and I get... I don't want to split hairs, but this, because it leads to wrong thinking, I accepted Christ. That's true. I know what that means for most. But the truth of it is, God accepts us. Yes, I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I make him my Lord and Savior. But the truth of it is, based on what Christ did at the cross, his imputed righteousness then, God sees me, the blood 
covers me. I'm free of my sin. I've been cleansed from my sin. And God sees me and he says, you are mine. You are my beloved. I accept you, not based on my good works or what I could ever do for God, but based on what Jesus Christ has done at the cross for me. And then as I enter into that relationship, when I grow in him, his life manifested in me, I live out his life here on earth. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we do think that it's free. It's the free gift. God gives that. A gift is free. But it's not without a commitment. In John 3.16, that word believe speaks of commitment. We're turning our life over to Him. We're surrendering submission to God. And then he accepts us, not, again, not on what we can do for him, but what Christ has done for us. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3. And this ties this in. 1 John chapter 3. We're his beloved. I, I love First John because John understood everything that I want to know about the life in Christ, what I want to experience, what I I want his life to be so imparted into my heart and my life that I could be a light to others. And John understood that. When you read the epistle of 1 John, he understood that. And look what he says. Again, he's talking to believers here, right? Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Now, all man is created in the image of God. All man is created in the sense there's a children of God, but this children of God that John speaks of is this born-again relationship that we have with God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I want to share the next verse. I wasn't going to do this, but this is so powerful to understand in the connection that our relationship with God, when we, at, at conversion, that point of belief, there is a submission to God. It isn't just believing in my head and thinking that I'm saved. There is an outward, if there's an act or an evidence 
of a person being born again. Look at verse 3 says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, that's what the commitment to Christ will do. It, it's transforming. The Holy Spirit will do this work in us, change us, from what we were into what God wants us to be. And that isn't just a one-time thing. That, that's continuous. As the more we submit to him, the more, the more the Holy Spirit transforms us. But we can't think, well, I gave my life to God, and then that's it. Now, it's interesting. I can have this mindset. I'm a Christian. I can come sit in the pew. I go to church. I check the list off. I made it that week. I can give in the offering. I'll check that off as well. I went to Wednesday night Bible study. I'll check that. I helped somebody at work. I'll check that off. Our relationship with God can turn into that if we're not careful. That's called religion. And what happens, though, when we, when we chew on these things and we have an earnest desire for more of God in our life, God's going to show up. And he might get you, no, he, might not, he, he will get you out of your comfort zone to grow you. As Paul said, we never can think that we can attain to some place. But unfortunately, we lack the power in the body of Christ today because we're not looking to him more and more. Amen? You agree with that? So, on this beloved, we are his beloved. Because we are his beloved, he cares about us deeply, and in his word we, we are encouraged and we're instructed on how to live as his beloved. And, and we have to understand that God loves us. There's, there's, God loves us as much when we are a sinner as it is when we come to him. That's not... He loves us, and he's demonstrated that love. Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He got this demonstrated his love. But then he instructs us encourages us, commands us, teaches us on how to live the life in Christ. What, what, what happens is we get so complacent as believers, we think we have, well, I got saved, and, and then without life in Christ, without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we, we just exist as Christians in name only. And then we lack power. That doesn't mean our efforts are wrong, and we're not trying to do that, but that's what, that's what can happen. And, I, and I, I'll tell you, the Lord, uh, I want to turn to a scripture I was just reading the other day um, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I love this. And as the Lord has me on this road of wanting more of him, wanting more of his life, and me wanting to share his life more, it's like every time I open up the scriptures, that word life is in there. You see, sometimes we think, well, I got saved, I'm in church, I'm in fellowship, and then it's all about eternity in heaven. Sometimes we, we get narrow-minded in that. Heaven's important, we should be thinking of heaven every day, thankful for what God has done and the blessed hope that we have. But the life, this eternal life, he has for us here on this earth. To walk on this earth as sons and daughters of God, the Most High King.
what did I say? <laughs> Second, thank you. Second Timothy. It's in here somewhere. <laughs> Breaking in a new Bible. But look at the greeting Paul gives in the second uh, letter to Timothy. In verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now see, here's the thing. If I'm, if I'm not seeking God more and more, this is how this reads. Well, Paul, yeah, Paul was an apostle. He's writing to Timothy. He's talking about the promise of life. Timothy's the beloved. And then we just read over grace, mercy, and peace. But when we're wanting more of God, when we're seeking Him, then we read this differently. According to the life which is in Christ Jesus. What life? It's just not for eternity. It's for here on earth. And then I could read to Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy. He was a beloved son his child in the faith. And then you think of all the things that Paul tells Timothy. Reminding him that, you know, if you're a follower of Christ, there is going to be persecution. Don't be timid. And then when you read those words, grace, mercy, and peace, they come alive. When you think about grace, the unmerited favor that I, I don't... I don't deserve anything from God. How God works in my life, it's, it's all about His grace. It's not anything that I deserve or anything I've done to earn it. And then mercy. Mercy is that God doesn't give you what you do deserve. Anybody thankful for God's mercy? Every day, His mercies are new every day. That means the previous day, God gives me grace and mercy. I'm so thankful for his mercy. I'm so thankful I'm his beloved. I'm so thankful. Man, the world, the, our life, I, I see, you know, my friends and family who, you know, before I was in Christ, you know, the lifestyle and the lack of peace and no hope and just bitter and just living and no, without anything, substance in their life. That's a lack of hope. And then that word peace. As we talked about Wednesday night, you know, they're talking about this peace plan that's about to be <laughs> rolled out. <laughs> Danger, <laughs> peace, peace, and safety. Oh, false peace, just remember that. We talked about that Wednesday night. But this is personal peace. People lack peace today, don't they? What are we finding our peace in? Well, the world's finding peace in sports. You know, my life before Christ, man, today would be a big day for me back before Christ. My Titans playing the FC Super or AFC Championship, it'd be on. My whole week would be based, my whole month, the whole season, the whole year would be based on this game. Now, I've got to confess, I'll probably yell at the TV several times today. <laughs> Just, just getting it out there. Thank God for his mercy. But my life's not based on that stuff. I think of, 
I think of peace, I can't help but to think of Brother John. There's a man who fought cancer for 19 months and a few months ago talking with him and sharing the gospel of Jesus and his faith was rooted in Christ's salvation alone in Jesus Christ. And I am convinced the peace that surpasses all understanding came over him. And that's transforming his family, that peace in Christ Jesus. You see, there's a difference. You've got to have the peace with God before you can have peace from God. The world does not know peace. The world is striving to live life on earth without God. You look at our culture, what's the, our, our problem isn't politics, folks. Our culture has a problem, our nation has a problem because we remove God from the picture. That's the problem. And that's the problem of man. But it's interesting then when you read this, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, and, and you read that with who you are in Christ and we are his beloved and we're focused on these things. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul, his next words in verse 3, it says, I thank God. You see, when these things are in our life, these things were, were connected with God, that we are his beloved, we're living in the riches of Christ, we're focused on the life of Christ, then we are thankful people. I was talking to my son this week, and you know, just talking about you know, other kids his age, and you know, you just see, you know, the certainly not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but hear me out, of just the way people talk to one another, the filthy language in elementary school. And then the teachers hear it and they don't do anything about it. Because, see, morality has eroded. And where does morality come from? It comes from God. And you remove God from the picture, well, you start to lose sense of any right and wrong. And then before you know it, just like we're seeing, <laughs> you know, you make up your own truth. And that's where we are as a people. Well, let's go back to Mark. Mark. <laughs> well, where do we go? <laughs> We're back in Mark. Verse 12 and 13 deal with the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. In verse 12 it says, Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now again, Mark doesn't, he just gives the action, he doesn't give the details. If we go to Matthew chapter 4, we have more details of this temptation that Jesus experienced. And, and it says there in verse 12, it's the spirit that drove Jesus to the wilderness. Interesting, 
great examples for you and I in this from Jesus. Jesus was baptized. You know, the forerunner was, you know, proclaiming that the Messiah was coming. There's one greater, mightier than, than John the Baptist, and he's on the scene now. He's baptized, and now the Spirit of God drives him to the wilderness. Interesting for you and I, when great temptation occurs when we are in the wilderness, the wilderness that Jesus was taken to is a wilderness of preparation. I understand that. There's times when God does lead us to a, our own little wilderness, right? Lead us to uh, not necessarily be isolated from the body of Christ, but to prepare us, to strengthen us. But I think for those who try to play Lone Ranger Christians and isolate themselves from the body of Christ, there's great temptation that can take place. Again, remember, this is the Spirit driving Jesus to the wilderness. A little bit different than what I just described there. And we're not going to go over all the details here from Matthew chapter 4, but we know this temptation was for 40 days. We know then that the temptation that Jesus experienced was very detailed. And the temptation that you and I face is very detailed at times. And we're told here that the angels ministered to him. I find it interesting that Jesus being the Son of God, that angels came and ministered to him. Again, I think in the temptation of Jesus, obviously we see his humanity, as Satan came against his humanity. He tried to get Jesus to you know, work without connection with the Father, to work independently of the Father. He played on Jesus being hungry. Jesus was hungry for those 40 days because he fasted. And all these things, we can have examples for our lives because Satan comes against those things. But it's interesting, again, the angels ministered to him. Going back to how much do we need God in our life? God is relentless in our relationship with him. He will do things and work things out for his glory that we might not understand. There's so much about God and his interaction with man that we don't understand. And those are times when we don't understand and maybe we question God. I'm not saying it's a sin to question God as long as we're going to God. Unfortunately, so many things happen in their life and then they turn to something else well, I don't understand these things about God, therefore, you know, relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter. The thing is, sometimes, as God has said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Sometimes we need, he's waiting for us to come to him and waiting for him to minister to us. And sometimes we're not going to know why things happen on this side of heaven. But just as the angels ministered to him, God wants to minister to you and I. An amazing thing about temptation, if we would go, and we'll close with this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Anybody been tempted this week? <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
And it's important to understand that, as we saw in our study of in, in spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, putting on the form of God, to be strong in the strength of his might, his power, putting on the full armor of God. That just because you're tempted does not mean you're walking with God. And you might be thinking, well, that's obvious, Jim. Well, some people, when they're tempted, they think they're doing something wrong and they just shun God away. They just push God away, and that's not true. If Jesus was tempted, why wouldn't we be tempted? And God always provides a way of escape. So when you're tempted, believer, by the enemy, know this, and we're going to read this verse 13, that God has provided a way out for you. And when I think of this verse, I always think, as I was on a submarine in the service, they had escape hatches. And every time I read this, I think of the escape hatch. I can escape from temptation through Jesus Christ. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That's a verse we should have highlighted. When you're tempted, tempted, <laughs> when you're tempted with sin, God has given you the way out. When you're tempted with sin, God is with you. He is faithful. He will give you the strength. Because what's, what do we normally do as people of the flesh in our I shouldn't say always. But when something doesn't go our way, it's easy to think, why is this happening to me? Anybody ever think that? <laughs> you just trust in the Lord. He's faithful. Amen. I'm convinced this morning during worship, God gave me a phrase, and it might be, well, I know it's for somebody here, maybe for all of us. God makes a way. Whatever you might be facing, whatever doubts you might have in life, God makes a way. God will find a way. He'll make a way. And I'm going to pray for us that the good hand of God would be upon us. Amen? Father, we come before you this morning and Lord, your, your word is just fascinating. It, it's, there's no way we could exhaust it, Lord, because it's just not a book. It's, it's your word to us, Lord. And Father, we thank you. It's, it's you that give us life. And Lord, as we go through the gospel, Mark, we pray that you would just guide us, Lord, strengthen us, refresh us in these truth, Lord, as we look at Jesus as our great example in all these things, Lord, and him even being our great example in temptation as he was tempted in the, in the wilderness. And we're told in Hebrews, Lord, that he's our great high priest. He's our, he's our savior, our great high priest who has endured the cross. He has uh, been tempted and yet without sin. 
And Lord, may we take this 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, Lord, to heart, that when we are tempted, that we would also know that, God, you are faithful, and that you, will, you have given us that escape, that we don't have to sin, Lord, that we can trust in you, trust in your spirit, rely on you, Lord. And Lord, may we also know, just as Jesus went 40 days fasting and praying and being prepared, being tempted, Lord, it was the enemy trying to sever that trust in the Father. And may we be mindful, Lord, that it's the enemy who is always trying to sever our trust in you, to break that connection. And we're so thankful, God, that you've given us the victory already. And may we live with the victory, not for the victory, but from the victory, all for your glory. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that the good hand of God would be upon us, Lord, that we would be walking in your favor, that we would prosper in all of your ways, Lord, that we would see our lives right where you want us, Lord, trusting in you, acknowledging you, and may we all grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Father, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.